Welcome to Preaching Into the Mirror. I'm Sharmini Kumar. Each week I'm spending time with some of the stories of Jesus according to the Gospel readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, if that means anything to you. And I'm preaching the sermon that I think I most need to hear. This week I was preaching for my home church congregation as well, but uh, you are welcome to eavesdrop. This week's passage was John 20, verses 19 to 31. Thomas is really interesting, I think, because Thomas is famous for doubting, right? We've, we've heard the phrase doubting Thomas. We've heard of doubting Thomas. But I don't think that's entirely fair because he did other things other than doubt. So I went through the Gospel of John and just had a look for the other things that Thomas did. And he's got there's two other things that Thomas did in the Gospel of John before he gets to the doubting part, right? So the first one is where the disciples are talking about Jesus going to Jerusalem. And the disciples know that Jesus is not popular, right? That uh, all the the religious leaders are are all out to get him. um, And they know that Jesus is actually quite likely to be arrested, And Thomas says, well, we should go to Jerusalem with him so that we can die alongside him. I know, right? That's pretty brave. I am not that brave. I don't know about you guys. I am not that brave. But we don't call him brave Thomas. And we don't call him loyal Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas. Which I think is a bit unfair. That's all I'm saying. The other thing thing that uh, Thomas does in John's Gospel is that just before Jesus dies, there's this great big long talk. And Jesus talks in riddles a lot, doesn't he? He just says a lot of things that just puzzles your head, right? And he says to the disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And you can just imagine all the disciples sitting around scratching their heads going, what's going on? I don't understand that. And only one of them is brave enough to put up their hand and say, um, excuse me, Jesus, we don't actually know where you're going, so how can we know the way? To which Jesus, of course, says that very famous statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. So I feel like Thomas actually asked a very good question, right? He asked a good question. It was quite logical, quite sensible. But we don't call him sensible Thomas or logical Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas. And I have a theory that the reason we call him Doubting Thomas is because a lot of us relate more to doubts than to the other things, right? Like, I'm not super sensible. You know that by now. I'm not super brave. I can sometimes be loyal. But I do have a lot of doubts. I'm really good at that. And I think most of us, if we're honest, are at some point in our lives relating to Thomas in this story, right? We have our doubts. We want to see Jesus and touch Jesus before we commit to Jesus. Or sometimes we feel like believing comes really easily to other people. Or sometimes we feel like we're the only ones in the whole group that don't get it. Or sometimes we might even feel like we're the only ones in the group who do get it and everybody else is a bit deluded. 
But my point is I think that most of us have felt like doubting Thomas. Most of us have felt like Thomas with his doubts at some time or another. And if you have not, then please come up to me afterwards and explain how you've done it. And I do feel for Thomas because Thomas had just lost someone he loved. He had, a, he had a good friend, a leader he'd spent time with for three years, so close, and he had just been taken away and, and, and crucified. So Thomas has lost a friend. But Thomas has lost more than a friend because he, he had hopes that Jesus would save Israel. And instead of defeating the Romans, Jesus was crucified by the Romans. So, Jesus, so Thomas sorry, has lost a friend, but he's also lost some hope. He's also lost some idea of who God is. And I think he might also have lost some idea of who he was. Because if we think that Thomas was the one who said, yes, we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're going to die with him, then what happened when the time came for Jesus to be arrested? They all ran away, didn't they? Yeah, they ran away. So I, I reckon he was probably a bit disappointed in himself. Jesus has let me down by dying, but I've also let Jesus down by not dying with him. He might have been a bit despairing. He might have lost hope in, in God, in himself, in the world. And in the middle of all this disappointment and despair come ten of his close friends and they're all happy. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried being happy. Uh, sorry, I don't know if you've ever tried being around happy people when you're feeling disappointed but if you haven't, let me tell you, it's very annoying. It's very annoying. Because <laughs> they're all happy and you just want to sit in the corner and be miserable or despairing. Maybe they're even happy because they've done something or had something or experienced something that you haven't. They've been to a concert or a men's breakfast or a, some amazing event. <laughs> That you've missed out on. You see where I'm going with that? that, that was, yeah? But they've had this experience that you've missed out. And they, they just want to talk about how great it was, what amazing things happened at this thing. And you just, you're just off in the corner. That's, you're not experiencing what they're experiencing. So I kind of feel for Thomas. And when Thomas says he's not going to believe, what I actually think he's saying is something a bit like this. Thomas is saying, I've been hurt by this hope business. I don't want to be made a fool of. And Thomas is saying you need something concrete, something physical. Maybe he's even saying, look, maybe it's, maybe it's not for me. Maybe the resurrection's for you, but not for me. Maybe he's saying, I used to believe I got burned. I believed in Jesus, I believed in God, I believed in me and all of it fell apart and I need something stronger before I'm going to believe again. I can kind of feel Thomas's pain here. And I love that Jesus doesn't tell Thomas off. He doesn't get cross, doesn't yell at him. Jesus reaches out to Thomas through the locked doors. 
to give Thomas what he needs. Did you notice that? They were in the room with the doors locked and then Jesus turns up. Jesus is like, do you know what? Locked doors are not going to stop me from getting to the people that I need to get to. Jesus like, locked doors nothing. You need my presence. Can't keep Jesus out with a locked door. Can't keep Jesus out with a locked door. You can't keep Jesus out with doubts. You can't keep Jesus out with wondering. You can't keep Jesus out with your hour, disappointment. Our despair, our doubt, our locked doors, our locked hearts are not a barrier for Jesus. And Jesus just appears and he gives Thomas what he needs. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a great story. And I wonder if any of you have thought about this story and maybe a bit like me thought, well, good for Thomas. (laughs) He got what he needed. He got to see Jesus in the flesh and he got to touch Jesus in the flesh, but I have never had that and I want that too. You don't have to confess to it, but some of us, I reckon, have thought that before. (coughs) And it's true, sorry, it's true that we don't get what Thomas got. Most of us, as far as I know, will never see Jesus in the flesh in this lifetime and touch his wounds. But I think this passage gives us some some keys, some keys about the ways that we encounter Jesus today in ways that are real. And, would you believe, like a good preacher, I've got three of them. <laughs> I know. I know. Isn't that amazing? Three, three, three points. We'll, we'll go through them. It's all right. The first one, the first thing I've got written down is peace. If you notice, the first thing Jesus says to his disciples is, peace be with you. And when he turns up to Thomas, the first thing he says is, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And I think that's one way that we experience Jesus in our world, is when we experience the peace of Jesus. And when I say the peace of Jesus, I don't just mean the absence of war. I don't mean people uh, glaring at each other and just barely holding off from physical violence. I mean a full-bodied, whole-life-embracing grace and peace and harmony that if we were Hebrew speakers, we might call shalom. And when we know that, in those moments that we know that, that is Jesus. For sure that is Jesus. Because nobody else can bring that. Who else can bring that? Who else can bring well-being. Who else can bring wholeness? Who else can bring grace to our lives and to our world? Only Jesus. And that's why we pass the peace on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Not just because it takes up time. Not just because you came late so you didn't say hello to all everybody. Not just because people are getting a bit restless in their seats. But because peace comes from Jesus. And where there is true peace, there is Jesus. And where there is Jesus, there is peace. And the other reason we do it is because of the words that we say before we pass the peace, right? 
Somebody up the front will say, we are the body of Christ. And then everybody says, Spirit is with us. So we are the body of Christ. Oh, no, we're going to get to that window. <laughs> this is preaching. It's all right. Don't worry about it. We are the body of Christ, which actually means that if you want to touch the body of Christ, if you want to meet the resurrected Jesus, you can shake hands with the person next to you and receive Jesus as they offer you peace. When you touch the hand of your brother and sister in Christ, you are touching the hand of Jesus. You are touching the body of Christ. So why don't we do that now? Spoiler alert, thanks, Linda. (laughs) Please stand. Because we are the body of Christ. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. Please greet one another. Now, let's not get carried away. (laughs) Because we don't just pass the peace to one another when we say peace be with you, do we? The peace of Christ that that we pass to one another is in all our interactions. The peace of Christ is in the conversations that we have after church, is in our serving of one another, The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Not just during the peace, but all the time. All the time. When you receive a cup of tea from your brother and sister in Christ, you are receiving a cup of tea from Jesus. So we recognise Jesus, we encounter Jesus, we meet Jesus in peace. And the second way that I think in this... Uh, in this passage, that, that we encounter Jesus is through Jesus' wounds. Don't you think it's, it's, a, it's a bit odd that what Thomas wanted most was to touch the wounds of Jesus? Because if somebody, if somebody you love is gone, you don't necessarily want to encounter that, the, the, the awfulness of their suffering, do you? You want to see that person again. He didn't want to see Jesus' face or hear his voice, but Thomas needed to touch the wounds. 
And I think that's actually where we find Jesus. The true essence of who Jesus is, is in Jesus' wounds. We find Jesus in his wounds. And I wonder if what Thomas knew on some level is that his wounds needed to meet with Jesus' wounds. That the wounds in his soul, if you like, the wounds in his spirit, his disappointment and despair and doubt needed to meet the the wounds of Jesus. And if you think about Jesus' life, for his whole life, people with wounds, people with scars, people with hurts of different kinds just kept coming to Jesus. He was like a pain magnet. Even just, in the book of, uh, even just in the book of John, we see that the pain and the suffering of the world is just drawn to Jesus. You think of the Samaritan woman at the well and her pain, John chapter 4. Think of the disabled man at the pool, the man who couldn't walk by the pool. Think of the man born blind, the 5,000 hungry people on the mountaintop. Even Lazarus in the tomb, he must have had some wounds, you'd think. But Jesus was attracted to pain and suffering, and pain and suffering was attracted to Jesus. Because there is something in that interaction that brings grace, that brings Jesus. This is hard to hear, isn't it? Most of the time I think we want to cover up our own pain. Just push it aside, pretend it doesn't exist. Maybe like Thomas, withdraw from all the crazy people who think that it's possible for that to be fixed. When I think what Jesus is saying here is, you've got pain, you've got suffering, just bring that to my wounds. Bring that to my broken body. Bring your brokenness to my brokenness and somewhere in that interaction, a miracle happens. Somewhere in that interaction between our suffering and Jesus' suffering, there's resurrection. So I think if we want to find Jesus, sometimes we have to go to the places of pain. Sometimes we have to go to the places of pain in ourselves, in our own spirits, in our own souls. And sometimes if we want to find Jesus, we've got to go to the places of pain in the world, in other people. And let that interact with the wounds of Jesus and experience that miracle, experience that resurrection in that way. So I think we can meet Jesus in peace. I think we can meet Jesus in wounds. And I think those two things are a little bit in tension, maybe a bit of a paradox, but I think they're both true and I think they're both in the Bible. And I think the third way we can recognise Jesus in this passage, from this passage, is that he calls his disciples. Actually, he doesn't so much call them as send them out, right? So if you think about this, two days ago Jesus died. It's very early in the morning and these crazy women are running around telling people that the tomb is empty and they saw an angel. And suddenly Jesus appears in front of them. His first words are, peace be with you. But his very next sentence is, 
It's in, it's in the passage. I'm sending you. Jesus has barely got, out, got finished with the peace be with you. And the very next thing is he says, I'm sending you. They haven't had time to adjust. They haven't had time to process what's happened. But Jesus immediately says, I am sending you. It's a bit of a Jesus-y thing to do, isn't it? Jesus didn't always wait for people to, to, to have caught up to where he was at. <laughs> Before he said, all right, off you go. Go do the same thing. Jesus says, like I was sent by God, I am sending you. And sometimes we experience Jesus when we do what we're called to do. When we take Jesus into the world. When we are sent by Jesus. When we fulfil our calling is another way we experience Jesus. Now, I don't mean working for the sake of trying to prove ourselves. I don't mean doing lots of things to try and earn our place. But when we feel ourselves as called and sent by Jesus, when we have that sense of carrying Jesus' presence with us into the world, I think we go with Jesus and we get to know Jesus and the world gets to know Jesus. And I think that's a real thing. And it's a real thing that leads us and leads the world to encounter Jesus in a real way. So those are my three things. That we know Jesus when we know peace. That we know Jesus when our wounds meet Jesus' wounds. And that we know Jesus when we're sent, when we live our lives as we're called to. And when Thomas encountered Jesus, he worshipped, didn't he? He had faith and he had joy. He says, my Lord and my God, and and we've got an exclamation mark in our Bibles because it's not just, oh, uh, okay, it's not an intellectual realisation. It's a flooding of his whole being with joy. And that's that's what Jesus wants to give us. That's the point of resurrection, isn't it? Joy, now and forever, joy. But when I think about what I'm actually saying today, which is that we meet the risen Jesus in peace... We meet the risen Jesus in our wounds and in our calling and we experience joy. There's a part of that that thinks, the part of me, sorry, that thinks that that's not very supernatural. Sometimes I'd like something more supernatural. But I actually believe that we're missing the point if we think about the resurrection as being more spiritual than physical. Because the resurrection was supposed to be about flesh and blood. The resurrection was supposed to be about the messiness and scariness and the realities of life because it's there that we encounter Jesus. So it's okay to doubt. The Bible doesn't think that doubting was was that bad. The Bible doesn't think that doubting was all that Thomas was. 
the Christian tradition says that after, um, after all of this, after all the biblical times, Thomas actually went to uh, India and preached. So there's a whole tradition within India of churches that uh, believe themselves to be planted because of doubting Thomas. So it's okay to doubt and it's okay to want reassurances and um, experiences of the resurrected Jesus in our lives. And we get those reassurances, we do get those confirmations, even though they're sometimes not what we would want them to look like. Because we sometimes get peace, don't we? Not, Not always very often and not always very much, but Jesus will give us peace. We get wounds. (laughs) We get wounds, don't we? We get pain, we get suffering. We get wounds in ourselves and in the world. And sometimes we can experience Jesus through those wounds. And we also get called. We get given a job to do. Given a, a, a vocation. And we can find Jesus as we carry that out. And so my prayer for today, may all our doubting lead us to knowing Jesus better. And may knowing Jesus better give us joy. Amen. I am going.